today's scripture comes from Luke 1, 5 through 25. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Feel free to follow along in your Bibles or as the text is presented on the screens. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now... You will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I think the best way to understand the Bible, and it's kind of hard to understand sometimes, right? Is, is to think of what happens in Genesis chapter 12. So that's just 12 chapters into the Bible. And there's a promise given that if you track that promise, it explains everything. I mean, it's, it's really simple. It's a promise given to Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And <clears throat> the promise is that they will one day have, uh, out, of their, out of their offspring, will have a nation that is as, as vast as the number of grains of sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And by the way, if you're, if you're a believer, you are a speck of sand or a star in the sky. This is how it, but this promise was made, this is the part that is crazy, this promise was made to a couple who were past childbearing age, and they were known as barren, they had no possibilities. The the Las Vegas odds on them ever having a child would be what? Zero, zip, nothing, couldn't happen. So they get this promise, and it's for them, but it's also for the world, because they are to be blessed in order to be a blessing to all. So this promise is, it's the whole Bible. And the problem is for them personally is that it's 25 years before they have a son come, 
which is hard to wait for. I mean, in the story we're looking at here, it's nine months before the promise is made and the fulfillment. But 25 years to a couple that has no chances to begin with. So it's, it's, that is where salvation history, as uh, theologians talk about it, begins. It's with that promise. It's an amazing promise. And it's for Israel... And Israel is waiting 2,000 years later for that promise to sort of happen. And it's also then for the world. And the world is waiting, but they don't know what they're waiting for. That's where we find ourselves in the first century, where the story takes place that we just read. Okay, so uh, there's a lot going on here. And I, I just want you to think about, though, that idea of the Bible is really simple. It's the tracking of this promise that was made to Abraham and to his wife, Sarah. We're going to be in this Advent series, and we're going to, that's our theme, Waiting in the Dark. And I'm going on the theory that all of us know what it means to wait in the dark for something. Waiting for something that is, is you just either really, really want it, or is something that you feel a promise has been made, and you've been praying for it, desiring it with all of your heart. Something, uh, we want to look at the anatomy of waiting, and uh, it's, it's common to all. And then we're going to be looking at these characters in the Christmas story. Today it's Elizabeth and Zechariah. And uh, here's going to be our... uh, We're going to start left to right there. A barren couple, a promise given, and how to wait. And then we're going to have communion together. You up for that? Okay. So we we begin. I'm going to read from the text a little bit here uh, at the beginning of it to give you the setting of uh, of what happens. In the time of Herod, the king of Judah. So when you read that, you, you, you think it's politically, it's just a mess. Herod was a very evil king, and he's under Rome, and no one likes him, even his own family. And uh, we won't go into all the history of that, but it's, a, it's not a good time. It's a dark time in the history of Israel in the first century. In the time of King Herod of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, also descended from Aaron. Aaron was a priest. So in other words, you have this couple, and the first thing we know about them is that they are a, they, they're like PKs or pastor's kids. Lauren knows what that means, right? Okay, maybe a few of you know what that feels like. But they, these, were, these were priest kids, and they're in this tradition of that. The second thing we learn about them is in verse 6. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. So what do we know? They're, they're priest kids, and they are righteous. They're, they're doing things the right way. They're doing things God's way. And then we learn of the problem. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And just to, I'm gonna, we're going to be talking about childlessness today. And um, uh, just so you know that it, it is not always the woman who's barren. And that it can be a combination or it can be the, the man who has the struggles. And in this case, we'll just take the scripture at its, at its face value and say that she was barren. But... Um, it was a huge problem in, if you understand the, the culture of Israel and then if you understand maybe where we are today as well. But to be barren was like the worst thing, particularly for a woman in that culture. It meant that you carried a shame around with you socially and that you were a failure and you would continually be asked, especially when you saw other people in public, what is wrong with me? 
And, and you lived with that, and they had been living, she had been living with that for a long time. Now, that's the social aspect. The theological aspect of it is that in the Old Testament, and particularly in the book of Deuteronomy, but there's other places where it specifically says that the Lord blesses the womb of the righteous, and there is divine punishment upon the womb of the unrighteous. Now, just think about how that would feel to a woman who is barren. And there's other stories. And I, I started out with the story of Sarah, who um, the promises of the Bible are built upon. So there's definitely a mix here, but she would have that as the popular view that there must be something wrong with her, not just with people, but with God. <sighs> this is not good for, for Elizabeth. Uh, we, I'm going to share two stories of people that we are particularly close to, and I'm going to do it anonymously or as anonymously as I can. But you have your own stories, I'm sure. But a, very, a couple we are very close to, and we have known for a very long time, were with us, with Patty and I, as we were having our three boys. They would come to the hospital. They would celebrate with us. They would bring the balloons give us the card, say how happy they were, and they would cry on the way home. You know what I'm talking about. They wanted a child. And every 30 days, the woman is reminded, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? We had another uh, couple uh, that were roughly 20 years younger than us, so they weren't around when we were having our kids. They know our kids. Uh, we love them dearly. And the wife is particularly wired uh, in a very passionate way. And she bore this burden. It, 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 I mean, uh, you know, it, I can remember her saying to me, and don't take this literally, but she says, every t- the next time, she said, the next time I hear a mother complaining about her kids being too loud or crying, I'm going to go strangle her because I would love to have a child that would make noise. That was her voice. Now, she didn't strangle anybody, just to let you know. But she was so passionate about it. So we've been around this in our life. One out of six couples in America struggles with infertility. That's the the, the guess on that one. And then you have other variations of that uh, with miscarriages. And um, yeah. so anyway, it's a, it's a big deal. And you probably, if you haven't struggled yourself, you know somebody else who has struggled. This is the voice of uh, a woman. I, won't, uh, I didn't want to name her, but I love the Lord. It could be Elizabeth. I love the Lord. I knew he had a providentially designed sovereign plan for my life, but I struggled with the fact that we were praying for a noble desire and it was going unanswered. I would pray face down on the floor, crying and pleading for God to allow me to conceive. Uh, How do you you get through? Uh, What what is your prayer life like? How do you wait in the darkness in this kind of place? I want to keep Israel in mind here. And at one of Israel's Um, darkest places was around the exile when they were exiled out of their homeland to a place called Babylon in the 6th century. And this was a prophet, Habakkuk. And he's, he's saying the same thing. It's not about child being childless, but it's the same thing. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, 
Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, and we could, we could go on and on here, could we not? With the things, you know, Mother Hubbard, I mean, it's, it's empty. The womb is empty. Your bank account is empty. Where, where is the fruitfulness of life? And here's, here's the, the, the part that connects with faith. Yet, the prophet says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. It's a voice of faith. And you find that voice in Scripture as well. Scripture is very realistic. It gives us the hard stuff and it gives us hope to get through. This is where Elizabeth is. She's faithful in all of these things. The social shame, the theological uh, feelings that she has of being left out from God's promises. And so Elizabeth is a picture of Israel in the first century. Elizabeth is barren and so is Israel. Barren, at least... Remember, the political climate is, is not good, and the uh, promises of God have not been fulfilled. So um, that promise, though, for her, of what God could do, might do, is the fuel for her life. And um, so then we have the story, a promise is given. Now, here's, here's the deal. So her husband, Zechariah, and he's a good man, right? We already established that. Good man. Good husband, faithful. He has a little blemish on his record that we're going to look at right now. But um, here's the deal. He, he's a, a, a priest, and he gets to be the one. They draw straws. There's, there's, there's hundreds of priests, if not thousands, in that day. So this is like a once-in-a-lifetime lottery type thing. I mean, it's, this is a big deal. He gets to light the incense. It's bigger than lighting this candle here. I'm sorry, guys. You guys did a good job there. Nobody got hurt. But... Um, it was a really, really big deal. So he goes in by himself to the most holy place to light the incense. And there he has a vision of the angel. And uh, the angel appears to him. And uh, this is the angel Gabriel, we find out. And Gabriel says that God has heard your prayers. God has heard your prayers. And you are going to have a son. And this son of yours is going to be really special. He is going to lead Israel. So this is, this is God's promise intersecting with the wound of this couple. Look at it that way. This guy is going to lead Israel back to God. And not only that, this is even bigger. He's going to prepare the way for the really, really big promise of God that was made way back there to Abraham and Sarah that somebody out of your offspring, you will bless the world. So this is, this is John. Uh, he says to call him John before Jesus is born. And um, Zechariah, now, this is, this is his blemish. He, asks, he thinks about it, he hears it, and he asks the question, how can this be true? Could be, I mean, he does the scientific thing, like, well, we're, we, we have, you know, it's not going to work. And he wants a sign. And so um, Gabriel is, we might say, put out or put off by this. And um, he says, okay, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. You're not going to talk for nine months. <laughs> and he didn't. He didn't have any words for nine months. Um, so uh, but here's the cool thing. God still keeps the promise. The, the, the still, he comes, God is still gracious, but Zechariah got 
the sign that he asked for and probably would, if he had to do it over again, what do you think, huh? I don't know. Um, Elizabeth then gets pregnant. And uh, you, can, you can read all about that. But it's a cool thing. Uh, she's so excited. And then she has the visit with her cousin Mary, her younger cousin Mary. But for Elizabeth, that wound has intersected God's promise. And it's an amazing thing for both she and her husband. So how do you wait in the darkness? And uh, I, I'm going to just pick on three things here. And then we're going to have communion together. And these might be... I don't think these are going to surprise you at all. These are like really simple things, but they're really hard things. So simple but hard. The first thing is, is to be a praying person, to be a praying couple. It, do you remember what that line was that the angel said? First thing he said, your prayers have been answered. What if they'd not prayed anymore? What if they'd given up? Have you ever given up on a prayer? Just, you know, I used to pray that prayer, but I'm not praying that anymore. <laughs> What would the story look like? They just kept praying for whatever, you know, whatever that is. Could be a job. Could be for a person to come, that, that spouse that you've always wanted. Could be for healing. Could be for, we're all waiting for something, right? For a child to come home. They, she kept praying. They kept praying. Secondly, um, there, there seems to be in their prayers or in their life a, a deep down bedrock kind of idea. Go back to, go back to the story. Remember that the, the whole Bible is built on this story of a promise being made, an impossible promise being made to this couple, Abraham and Sarah, 2,000 years earlier. And, and people in, who were in this faithful, um, kind of faithful remnant, is, we'll, we'll talk about that more in this series, what it means to be in this faithful remnant. The, the true believers in what God was going to do, they knew that God could do anything. Do you know that? That doesn't mean he's going to do anything or everything that you want, but he can. He has the power to. He's, he's done it before. He's got a track record that says, I can make the impossible possible. And they have that in their spiritual DNA. Do you have that in your spiritual DNA? This is just that idea that God can do anything, that science isn't the last voice, that God can raise the dead. And... Um, so I, I need to co- complete the loop with you on these, these t- two stories of these couples that I mentioned earlier. Um, the younger couple uh, with a really passionate um, wife, uh, they, they had a, an up and down road of trying to adopt. And they, they actually had everything lined up. And this is so typical of adop- adoption situations. They had everything lined up and then the rug got pulled out from under them. That country shut down all adoptions. And then they started over again. And then that didn't work out. And it just this, so not only do you have the, the monthly reminder of being unable to have a child, you have these other crazy things that go on where things are not working. And, you know, you, you trust that God is, is working it all out. Well, so anyway, they, at the end of the day, they ended up adopting a little girl from a place. And then within a year, she got pregnant, which happens. 
And I, would, I, I, I love to tell this story, but it doesn't always happen, right? I mean, it, we don't know the mysteries of, of how all that works, but it happens with them. And so uh, she becomes like Elizabeth with her voice of praise to God. Thankful, so thankful. And then uh, this other couple that I mentioned who are more our age, uh, they ended up adopting three boys. And so we were able to share that. Three boys, three boys. We have three boys. But their middle son has been um, in and out of jail, uh, hanging out with the wrong, you know, just all through. It's been, it's been a huge, in the psychiatrist's office, in the principal's office, all these places that you don't want your kids to be throughout his 28, 29 years now. And it's, so they're waiting. They're still waiting. They're waiting parents, waiting for him to come home. In fact, Elizabeth, did she have any idea in the joy that she experienced in being pregnant, did she have any idea that her son would end up in prison? And that he would be executed by an evil king. I mean, you know, so we wait. We're always waiting for something. But deep down, deep down, we know that God can raise the dead and anything this side of that. He can do anything. He can make something out of nothing. That's the God of Scripture. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing would be to identify the promises of God what are the promises of God? Be clear on the, what God has promised. And it may be that he has promised you something specifically, but we certainly have lots of promises in Scripture. And he has promised that he is going to set everything right. As um, Sam Gamgee said, everything sad will come untrue. He's made that promise. So hang on, cling to, hang on. This is what you see in Elizabeth and Zechariah, clinging to the promises that God has made and letting go of the timeline. Got that? Clinging to the promise and letting go of the timeline. And I bring that up because Advent at its, at its core isn't about waiting for Christmas. It's about waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Christmas is, 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 is a looking backward thing. Advent is a looking forward thing for the church. So the main message of Advent is not about Christmas. It's about the second coming. Did you know that? It's ama- it, and what do we talk about more? Well, who doesn't like presents? Right? Oh. But the greatest present is the person of Jesus Christ. And there will be a day in history where eternity and history intersect and everything will get set right. Everything sad will come untrue. In the words of the um, communion, uh, what we call the words of institution, it ends with the Apostle Paul saying, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ for us, where not only our wounds intersect his promise on the cross, but his wounds for us intersect God's promise on the cross. And we have life in his death. And he will come again because he is raised from the dead. We remember that promise. That is the great promise of the future until he comes again. Let us pray and we'll prepare our hearts for communion. I want to begin this prayer just by asking you 
in, in your heart. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are you praying for? What have you given up praying for? Because this could be the first day to start that prayer, to restart that prayer. This table is a place where we can hear again the promise of God to come back into this world, the second coming of Jesus Christ, the advent of Jesus Christ, the second time. We hold on to that promise with whatever else we're praying for, which, which, whatever else is lacking, wherever we're barren, wherever we're void, we remember that Jesus Christ is coming back. We grab onto that promise and we let go of the timeline. We just simply say with the words of Scripture, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In your name we pray, amen.